join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hey everybody, thanks for checking in to Little Oak Weekly. This is Andrew Bracewell, your host for today's episode. Today we get to have a very in-depth and detailed, fascinating conversation with my friend Jesse Bragg. Jesse is one of our newer agents licensed out of our Fort Langley office. He's just completed his first full year in the industry. And as you'll hear us talk about, he is very proud to have made medallion for 2021. So that's very exciting. We talk about challenges of starting a new career, having come from a totally different industry. And then we get in depth into the listing appointment, pre-listing packages, how to handle a pre-listing package, what kind of content to put into it, then how that relates to the content in your CMA. And then we spend quite a bit of time on the conversations throughout a CMA and you know breaking down uh, the competition, commission, handling commission objections, and all that goes along with that, and probably a few other things I'm forgetting to mention as well. All told, great conversation. I do think it's going to be quite beneficial for uh, you guys, the listener, as Jesse brings up a lot of really good, relevant topics that we kick around. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy Jesse Bregg. Hello, hello. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm making sure I've got everything I do not disturb and mute and all that. <laughs> You're following instructions. Thank you. I'm try- trying. I, I know we, we actually, I don't often have as defined an agenda as you and I have today. So I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite excited about what we're going to get into. But before we do that, I wanted to get your thoughts on how you feel about making medallion in the first year of your, uh, of your real estate career. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that was, it's wild to have that as a goal, but I really, that was, that was really important to me. It was, um, okay, I was it, just going to ask. It was, I didn't yeah, even know if it was a goal or not or whatever. It, that was, that was really important to me. And I kind of, you know, if, knowing that, you know, that's not a financial goal, that's a, that's a number of transactions. And I get that it doesn't mean anything to the public. And, and really, I think that was, that was an internal prayer of mine, just kind of asking God for that. I had come from 11 years in a corporate world where I was, uh, for nine of them in basically what was their version of medallion top, you know, top 10%. And so coming and leaving that and, and basically starting going from here to zero, uh, you know, in a completely new career and, and being the new kid on the block, that was really important to me. And so, um, you know, I was watching it a lot. I, I thought I was one deal off. And, uh, so, so <laughs> when you texted me about a week into the new year, like I just stopped looking like the, I, I'd seen the cutoff was showing 23 deals and I was sitting at 22 and, and I, I literally was waiting for that crazy call two days before the end of the year to have somebody say, Hey, we want to write on a place and, and miraculously get it. But then, uh, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night on, on the 31st of, uh, December rolled around and I thought, well, I, I guess I, I guess I didn't make it. That's, so, and I, I had no awesome. idea that this was even on your mind or on your radar. I don't even, I can't even tell you when mm-hmm. I messaged you, I was just randomly looking at medallion lists early in the year and i saw your name at the very yeah. bottom and i was like oh that's amazing and then i just shot you this text that was probably like january yeah. the third or fourth or something right 
I, yeah, it, it was just what uh, I think it was like the sixth or seventh. It would be the fall. It was a Saturday morning. Yeah. And uh, I opened my eyes to a text from you and I thought, oh, that's just that's just too good to be true. So, mm. yeah. And I and I actually was holding off on ordering business cards. I was down to buy like my last five business cards and was just holding off to wait and see if maybe somehow I'd make it. So. So, yeah, that was that was super exciting. So that that is my take on it. And I think just to be able to be back into a an, an area of recognition, I, I think it just it feels like I haven't left success in a in a previous life. And uh, and, you know, to kind of be able to continue on that trajectory is awesome. How many years were you in your pre? What was your previous career? Remind me and the listener. I, yeah. So I was uh, a national accounts uh, business development manager for uh, a big, uh, you know, Fortune 100 company, uh, handled uh, national accounts for, for all of Canada, sold, sold service contracts on uh, fire safety systems. And so did some did some pretty big uh, big sales, a lot of work with governments and uh, uh, some big big property managers, and um, yeah, so did that for for a lot of years. That ended in the spring of 2019. And yeah, I, I think of you as one of our like, uh, well, whatever. You're one of our COVID realtors. <laughs> you started. You started. Your first full year was 21, but you actually got licensed in 20. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your first so full I, your first full year was twenty one. Brokerage, brokerage in in March, uh, I think March first, basically twenty twenty twenty. Yeah, so I call I call twenty one your first first full year because yes, you know that's yeah. a twelve month twelve month cycle. But I remember, yeah, you started as pandemics hitting, and I recall our first conversation was probably what April or May, something like that, Some, somewhere in there. Because I remember yeah. it was very early on. You're starting real estate. And the world's locking down, like quite literally, we're <laughs> locking down. And yeah. I, I remember enough of details of our conversation just to think like, holy cow. I remember feeling badly for you going, my goodness, I can't, re I don't know what it would be like to be starting a career that is so dependent on physical connection. And yeah. now you can't even do that. It's, uh, it's wild in the fact that even now, um, as things shift, I don't know some stuff. I just don't have a grid for like, like m making coffee meetings with people and, and, and trying to get face to face with them as quickly as possible. Right. And, and that's almost something that I, I forget to do because I created my rhythms and my habits in this time of, of disconnection. And so it's, yeah, there, there's lots of things that people are talk about getting back to doing that I have no I have no grid for, and yet they're second nature for most people who've done this prior to 2020. And do you think that you long for some of those things? Like, do you, do you, even though you don't have a grid for it, do you think you'll, you'll benefit from some of those things or what? Yes. Uh, I mean, that, the, one of the, the most glorious things about this profession was getting out of my home office, which I'm standing in right now. And I basically, I worked out of this room since 2009 and uh most of my previous career was spent on the phone and on email and dealing with people all across the country and, and occasionally i would fly probably about every six weeks i would have a trip somewhere and i would get face to face with people but i could i could ink a, a million dollar sale without ever having seen somebody mm. uh, face to face and so 
the the idea of of getting out and, and getting in my car and going places. I tell you, people say, oh, you know, oh, it's out in Chilliwack. I'm like, I don't care. Get get me behind the wheel, throw a podcast on, and I can drive to Chilliwack. That's and that's work. Awesome. Hmm. Uh, just get me get me out of the house. Get me in front of people. Right. And so that was the that was the dream. And you know, the idea of lunches and coffees and and being in people's you know throwing throwing parties. Uh, client parties, sure, and and none of that really has uh, has <laughs> nothing, been quite nothing at uh, all. You get to sit behind uh, your computer and do Zoom. That's what yeah, you get to do. Well, and and uh, you know I've been working <laughs> with with internet leads with Chris Lucas for for the the majority of that time, and and here I am back back in front of my you know my desk and and on a telephone doing a lot of that. So it's I'm, mm. I'm looking forward to how, how this improves yep. with time. I want to just ask one more thing related to this until we get into what we're really supposed to be talking about today. The idea of, I'll maybe try to rephrase what you said, but I think you said something along the lines of, you know, when you saw you made medallion, you felt in that moment now you could say, okay, I, 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 I at least didn't leave that level of success that I had to have no success. Then you, you say, you think you, you felt like now you've achieved something. So does it really like, you know, so you did 22 sales and you happened to make medallion by one sale. So if you made 21 or if you made 24, does it really matter? Is it really different or how, or, or what does that do yeah. in your brain? Cause you obviously, whether you did 20 or 24, I would say that the real benefit of your, of your first full year is that you gain some tremendous experience and yeah. you know, some stuff today that you didn't know 12 months ago, but I, but I know that that's not a fair statement. Like I do understand award level things matter, but I want to know how that matters psychologically for you. Like what does that do in your head? Yeah. I, I think, you know, to, to be able to say to people, look, I, you know, I was in the top 10% of, of realtors in the Fraser Valley, especially for people that know me and, and, and my sphere, they know me to have been a successful salesperson, but does that translate? Right. Are you, equally are equally not equally but are you are you successful in your new role and to be able to give somebody a uh, a punchy statement like that right i think has you know has value and saying i almost i, I was almost top 10 percent. <laughs> i was top 11 percent. it just it lacks yeah. the yeah. It, it it lacks something and so so i, I will beat that drum uh, especially with, uh, with my sphere and with the people at church that ask me how things are going or friends or whatever. Um, that's huge, huge there. Does it really matter? I'm, I, I was talking to Marty Peters early December and going, you know, I'm, I'm right on the cusp. I'm hoping to make medallion. And Marty's like, look, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you, you you've done well regardless. And it, it's, you know, it only means something to realtors. And I, and I really appreciate that. And I, I held it, you know, hold, hold it with a grain of salt. And, and I, there's, there's so many awesome people that, that missed it by a deal. Like, mm -hmm. come on. Totally. It's not, it's not the maker, you know, the make or break thing. But, um, for me and especially first full year in, yeah, I, I think it, it makes me feel like I, I did something worth, worth noting. That's cool. I think that's, I think that's legitimate. It's a, you know, award levels are hard to, uh, you can find reasons to say that they're insignificant and you, you can find reasons to say that they are significant. And mm -hmm. I find even myself 
you know, depending on the day you ask me, I might give you a different answer. <laughs> sure. So it's, uh, but that is, I, I think that for anybody in this industry to be in the top 10% in your first full year is a tremendous accomplishment, no matter how you feel about awards or recognition. I would say that from my chair, that's a significant accomplishment and something that you should be proud of. So, you know, it might feel differently 10 years from now. It might, sure. you might grow tired of it and say, ah, oh, this doesn't matter anymore, but that's okay. Cause that's not who you are. Who you are today is a first year agent, not a 10 year agent. So absolutely. Yeah. That, that matters. It, it, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I look at their, it, it's, it's a gift to be able to, to make it. I, I, I don't feel necessarily even that it's, that I did something special in the fact that I know there's other people that have worked harder or as hard or harder than I have and didn't make it. And it's just the way it came together. So it's not like I compare myself to others and say, you know, I, I am better than they are. It really, it's a, it's a gift that I was just pleased to, to be, to have that privilege to be able to stick that logo on stuff and, and come beat that drum for my, my friends and family. I will tell you, so the exact opposite story of you, I know this guy uh, is, li- is going to listen to this because I know he listens to all of our episodes, or almost all of them anyway, Stan Weeb, who's been licensed for, I'm sorry, Stan, if I get this wrong, but like, I don't know, he's one of our, uh, I don't think he's quite 50 years, but he's like maybe over 40 years or something like that. I, and, and I think maybe he's made medallion in every year of his career, except for maybe the first one or two. Like, so he's wow. hit, he's hit medallion 30 some odd years in a row. And I know what he's going to hear this and he's going to call me up and correct me when he hears the episode, but it's, it's something, <laughs> it's something like that. Like it is, it is, in, it is unbelievable. So I'll say this, like, you know, early on in your career, it matters. Right. And then it's probably safe to say that if you were to pull a lot of people who'd been medallion for 10 to 20 years, it might matter less to them, you know, but then Stan who's done it, you know, 30 some odd years, maybe even 40 years in a row, you get on that kind of streak in anything and it, and it matters again. Right. And I know that, I know that he had a year a few years ago where he thought he was going to miss it and he barely made it or something like that, but it, it, it it kept his streak going. And I know that his streak is one of the, it's maybe not the longest streak, uh, in the Fraser Valley board, but it's definitely one of the longest streaks. Yeah. Here he is, you know, whatever it is, 40 some odd years later or however long it's been, he's still cranking. And depending on the year, he might sell 23 homes. He might sell 40 homes, but he does it every year. And, and, and that's quite, you know, to do it that many, I don't care what you're doing. You do something that many years in a row. Uh, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the real reason why we're talking today, you, well, I guess this had, this maybe started, well, I wanted to connect and podcast with you anyway, but. I think you called me up and you wanted, you started asking me questions about listing packages or pre-listing packages. And at some point in time, I said, Hey, we should just record this conversation. So that's what we're, uh, that's what we're geared up to talk about today. So maybe I'll let you start. Where did this, where did this, uh, question come from? I mean, we know that you're, you know, in a, in a new, you know, you're, you're early in your career. So you obviously don't have all this kind of stuff figured out, but Somewhere along the way, you got it in your brain that you need a pre-listing package or something of that effect. And uh, maybe give me where, give me the download on where you're at in your head right now with that. And then we'll just dive in. 
Sure. Um, and, and I, I think I've taken a, a run at trying to put some of this together and, and, uh, with the help of Jody and marketing, I've put some pieces that I would think are building blocks of a pre-listing package, but, um, have never really gotten the, the stuff together to be really organized and have a pre-listing package. And we were a week or so ago, Ray was, was doing some training with, uh, with Chris Lucas's team. And uh, he was talking about having your pre-listing package and firing that over in advance. And I thought, I, I know I've seen Ray's and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, he was put together a little while ago and I was looking for, <laughs> I'm trying to be. <laughs> that was a very nice way to say that. Oh, I'm trying. I'm so trying. it was a little. So it was a little outdated. You wanted something a little <laughs> more modern. Is it, that what it, was a, it was a little outdated, and uh, and I was looking for something with a, with a little more uh, a little more pizzazz to it. And I thought, you know, again, the way you the way you think and the way you approach uh, deals really jives with the way I I think. And so I thought I need to ask Andrew for what he has because that'll that's more likely to be something that that will be a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so, that, so that was re- really where it started. I lack formal structure to things. Like I, I don't have a listing, a proper listing presentation. I don't have a pre-listing package. I don't have a book that's like ten pages that you know talks about me and my dog and where I came from and all the things I do. And sure, it it just I show up and <laughs> and win wing it. And you just pizzazz people because you have natural people ability. I guess that's what it, you know what it is. Uh, if, if it's too formal, I feel like I'm trying to sell them. Yeah. If it's, if I don't show up with something, then I don't, then they don't feel like they get that, that salesy guy. Like I'm pitching them. Uh, and, and I'm always afraid of pe- people feeling pitched. Mm. They are being pitched. I just don't want them to know it. Sure. I want to pitch you, but I want it to be so soft that by the time I'm done with you, you don't know what happened. <laughs> Rather yeah, than knowing exactly. what happened. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The George Costanza method. I'm yeah. just there. Yeah. So why I'm gonna ask you some questions then. Cause I'm I'm curious to hear what you've heard a pre-listing package should be and should consist of and like the content it should be and what do you think you would want to have in that context wow um what comes to mind is some stats some stuff about me some stuff about the market um probably the contracts maybe a glossary of terms other things that they would need to follow as far as steps like what what steps to expect it's been a little while since i've looked at at what somebody has had and and shared with me as a pre-listing package Uh but i know like raise was there was a lot of pages there's a lot of stuff somebody else it's more of a brochure yeah and they might combine they might send along a copy of the listing contract and some other some other stats Uh about their sales and the market Mm-hmm. but um, I don't really have a super clear picture. And I think that's because everybody does it a little bit different. And I've seen mm-hmm. a few different uh, styles. Yeah. And it should be, I think it's worth saying that there isn't, you know, we're going to kick this around today and talk through what are my ideas or your ideas, but there's not one way to do it. But I think a very important question though, is why 
are you doing it or what are you trying to accomplish? Because I think the answer to that is what leads you to what should be inside a pre-listing yeah. package if in fact you're going to do one. And what I don't, what I would say I don't agree with, if I can start there, is that, you know, very generically, if, a, if you were to ask somebody and say, what is supposed to, what, what are you supposed to do in a, in a CMA? Well, what is the content of a CMA? I think everybody would agree that a CMA consists of maybe you could break it down into like five or six categories. Part of your CMA, and whether you've got this in a formal presentation or whether this is just something you go through verbally, but I'll, I'll break it down here into five or six steps. There's clearly an about me section, right? Where you talk about yourself, your experience. That might include some testimonials or something like that, okay? So like that's one part of a CMA that everybody would agree and say, yeah, that's an important part. I would suggest another part. This is maybe a little bit more, um, you know, unique or hard to quantify, but it's an important part of my CMA when I meet with people. I call it common ground. I don't necessarily have a page called common ground in a presentation, but I'm definitely trying to establish common ground early on in the meeting of the CMA. And that's a step that I never, ever, ever miss. Because when you can find common ground, then you often find the building blocks for trust, right? Right. So common ground is a huge piece. Then another category is market. Obviously, you have to get into the story of the market. Then you spend time on the specific property in question. And then you obviously also spend time on strategy, sales strategy. Okay. So there's five basic albeit generic categories, I would say that if you asked a hundred people about a CMA, all hundred, whether they worded it the way I did or not, would, would give you those five at the minimum of categories that are like foundational to a CMA. And they would explain it differently and word it differently. But if you had boil it all down, it's going to be into those five. And maybe there's a one, another one I'm missing. Maybe there you could say there's six. The point of what I'm saying is, is what I, what I, what I started by saying what I want to disagree with. What I want to disagree with is that I don't think a pre-listing package should be a CMA light version. So I don't think you should be sending somebody basically a modified or mini version of what you're going to cover in your CMA. Because I, my question is, is like, what's the point? Like, what are you, what, what, what are you, like, what's that going to accomplish? In my opinion, you're going to get there and meet with them and then you're going to go over everything that you sent them. If you just send them a mini version, then you're kind of doing the same thing twice. What I want to do in a um, pre-listing package, and I don't always, number one, I don't have a formal pre-listing package that I send to every client, but there are times that I do send something in advance and I would call that a pre-listing package. And when I'm sending something in advance, I would say that it's very, very heavy on market information and data. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, I believe that the, it's the context of the market that create, or sorry, it's the market conditions that create the context for every conversation we're going to have when we're discussing, you know, the who, what, why, when, and how. And so I want there to be a clear understanding of that. And I want to load them up with all kinds of stats and data and heavy words in advance of the meeting to give them time to work through and read through that so that when we get to our time together, they've had a chance to review and it's, they're probably going to have an opportunity to, to, to raise some questions that they otherwise wouldn't 
be able to do on the spot because some people need time to process before questions come to their mind. Okay, so that's objective one. Objective two is, is I'm also trying to show them without saying it specifically, competence, professionalism, and experience. This is where I'm using big words, industries type stuff, and I'm getting into the nitty gritty because I want them to see that I'm very capable and I know the market better than anybody else. It's exactly the thing that I don't want to be spending a lot of time on when I'm face to face, because that's when I want to be building a lot of common ground and connecting. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So even though I don't have a formal, like, you know, here's my package that I send everybody, that is what I'm doing when I do it. And it's not every time, but I'm very, very heavy on that type of stuff. And I'm not talking at all about strategy and marketing. I'm not talking at all about me. I'll wait till I get in front of them to talk about me. The common ground piece obviously is only done face to face. And I'm not talking about the specifics of the property either. I'm just get, I'm talking right. generic. Hey folks, you know, glad to be coming over. Looking forward to spending some time together. In preparation for our meeting together, I wanted to lay out a uh, the context of the environment and I wanted to give you some high level information that's going to be really, really important for our time together on Saturday. And then I'm going to go into in-depth analysis of data and numbers to the point that I'm confident nobody else is going to be delivering it to them in the method that I'm delivering it to them. Which in, in, to some degree leads me to say, okay, well, what does that, what does that content look like? Because obviously the markets change, the numbers change, but what that, how that might be presented can be consistent Yeah, and you don't have to rethink it. So yeah. That's where that's where I'm looking for people who have have gone before me to go. Here are the here are the segments I'm going to cover, mm-hmm. and then you really plug and play with current yeah current information. Totally. So good good question. So here's how I here's how I break it down. I always and anyone that's listening or seen me train on stuff like this in the past, though I will I have said and continue to say, you always need to tell a story of the market. So. I was with, actually, I'll just talk about a scenario from this morning. So I was sitting with a couple this morning who were talking about selling their house. I looked at them and I said, guys, there's less than 2,000 properties for sale in the Fraser Valley board right now. That's a shocking number, right? That's a totally shocking number. Except it's not shocking if you don't have context and they don't have the full story. Now, when I told them in 2009 there was nearly 13,000 properties for sale. All of a sudden their eyes went wide and they went, oh my goodness, that's quite the difference. So here's why that's relevant. I'll have a story. I'll have an ongoing story in, you know, data, paper, PDF form that I have at my fingertips at all times. And that story in my, in my, I, I said 2009 because I like to go back to 2009, which can seem like a very long period of time ago, but that was the last time that we had a really, really big correction in the market. So I wouldn't necessarily go back that far, you know, if I didn't need to, but it just so happens that that, that's, that's our last big crash. I know we had a bit of a correction in 19, but, but it was a blip on the radar comparatively speaking. So I like to go back to 2009 and you do this, you would do this for detached. You do it for, for condos, townhomes. You can break it down however you want. If you're someone who does a lot of acreages, you do it for acreages as well. 
and you're going to have a few graphs and those graphs are going to tell a story. They're going to tell a story of inventory levels, sales numbers, sales to active listing ratio. And this story is going to, you're going to see these graphs move all from 2009 until, you know, roughly 12, 13 years later. And so that's the kind of stuff that you're going to, that I like to send in advance. It's, it's data heavy material. Now, when you see that there's only 1,700 properties for sale in the Fraser Valley, and you give it the context of a full story, now you've given them something that's shocking. Or maybe it's not just, forget shocking, it's at least informative, right? Even if we weren't in this type right. of environment, even if there was 8,500 homes for sale. The, the general, most people in the general public don't know what to make of a number unless they can know what that number was in other reference points or years of reference. Right, because everyone has a sure. everyone has a story of 2009 or 2013 or 2018 or whatever, and now you're normalizing things, right? You're helping them understand. So I will, I have that ongoing in my life in whatever data form you want. If you like bar graphs, great, do bar graphs. If you like pie charts, do pie charts. It doesn't really matter, but you just always need to be thinking, how do I tell a story of the market? And that's how I'm laying the context for the conversation. And now when I sit in someone's chair in their living room and we're talking about things and you know they re they're hearing things in the paper right they're like wow we're up 40 percent year over year like how does this make sense like this just seems crazy and you know for us this is normal language and normal things to talk about because we're in it every day but to joe and mary public who aren't in real estate this stuff seems far-fetched and hard to grasp but it becomes real clear in their head when they go okay the last time we moved, there was 11,000 properties for sale, and today there's 1,800. This is all starting to make sense. Right. And, you know, I'm just talking about inventory, but you can talk about sales numbers, sales to active listing ratio. I like to be able to do all of them. But always, always telling a story in the context of, like, the last 10 years uh, because it, it paints a really clear picture for people. And then you can look back and say, hey, remember... Like, remember 2016-17? Like, 16-17 was a really hot market. Well, guess what? In 2016-17, we still had about 4,000 properties for sale on the Fraser Valley Board, even in the hottest moments. So now that gives you some real context for where we're at today, yeah. when we're even half of that. And in 2016 and 17, in that moment, that was the hottest real estate market we'd ever seen. So now you know where we're at today. Right. Perspective. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, all of these stories today are all about low inventory and hot markets, but I've been in this business long enough to say like, this is, you can have this in the reverse context, right? Like, you know, and you may, one day we're going to be in a 2009 again, or we're going to be in another correction, or we're going to have, you know, 10,000, and, and this works both ways. You just always need to be able to give a story to the context of the market. Okay. You're processing? Yeah, no, I, I, I that's, that, that's awesome. And I, and I think having a having a perspective of how to provide that information because I'm going to sit down and try to pull that together the way that it makes sense for me or to me where that may not be based on trial and error and based on on all you know years of experience how to necessarily present that information so that's where I, I'm, I'm looking for some some sense of what what that might what that might look like I, I've got a, a picture in my head but I might be going down the rabbit hole and way too deep. So the best, the best part about data and stats is that you don't need to have lived through that to be able to use it, utilize it. Now, 
Right. Is it nicer, you know, to be able to say, hey, I sold homes in 2019, I know what it, or 20, 2009, I know what it was like. Sure. I mean, because now you're, you're, you're recalling personal stories or anecdotes, but you, you don't need it. I mean, I could, I could take graphs. If somebody gave me graphs from the 80s and 90s, I did not sell real estate in the 80s and 90s, but I could take graphs right now in the 80s and 90s. And if I did a little bit of research and wrap my head around inventory levels and sale numbers, I could tell a story of the 80s and 90s that would be totally accurate based on those graphs. Right. And all it takes is an in-depth knowledge of the... So, you know, do you have to put the work in? Yeah, you got to put the work in. You got to, you know, you're a professional. You got to research, you know, do a little research. You know, go back into our, uh, get on RealtorLink, go back into our Fraser Valley stats packages that are available over the course of the last 20 years and spend some hours doing some research and digging into average values and, and you know, what was a home worth in 2009 in the Fraser Valley or in Willoughby or whatever. Like all of this is available at our fingertips. That to me, you know, obviously if you haven't been in the business, that's, that's your disadvantage, right? Because you don't have your own personal anecdote of selling a home in 2011. It just means that you got to put the work in and study the material that's there for you to study. And, and it's available to anybody. If you put the time in, that information will be at the tip of your tongue or the top of your mind. And that's, you know, that being able to speak fluently, it's like another language. Imagine it that way. If you become fluent in the language of data and statistics, you are going to convey a level of experience and knowledge that most people in your field do not have. Whether they lived it or not, they don't know how to talk about it in the way that you can become capable of talking about it. Sure. No, absolutely. And that's what, you know, back to the original question of pre-listing package on that, that in my opinion, that's what I'm heavy on in a pre-listing package. And then the rest of the listing package, and we can we can dive into that. But I, I like to save some of those other pieces that we talked about for uh, for for the actual CMA or the actual meeting. Do you send a copy of of the listing contract in advance so they have a chance to read through it? So I, yeah, okay. So in general, with all of my clients, again, in assuming that we have time for this, I mean, there's certain situations where time is of the essence, but I like sending. Everything my people are signing in PDF in advance before they need to sign it to give them a chance to read. So yes, I just do that in general. Now, I would say that it doesn't go in quite that order. Like if I'm going to meet, you need a little bit of, I need a little bit more context. Like if I'm going to a repeat client, you know, who I've moved two or three times before, I'm certainly not sending them paperwork in advance. Because they've moved with me before. There's a lot of level of trust there. They, they, if I were to do that in advance, that would seem weird to them. But where, I, where I'm likely to do that is I go, in, I go to the CMA. I go meet with people. You know, we go through all the things. We discuss everything we need to discuss. I don't know if this is just my habit or the way I handle my people. But I can tell you it's a very, very rare day that I'm, like, signing them up right there in that moment. I don't know if that's because, like, I lack some killer instinct or maybe I'm doing some things wrong, but I just, I've mm-hmm. never done that. So I don't even show up with paperwork anymore. I do everything digitally. And so what I'm getting at is that if it's, if we conclude that we are about to go to market 
right away, then typically what I'm doing is then I'm sending them everything for review via PDF before I send them anything for DocuSign. So I do give them a chance to review before the DocuSign gets sent, but I'm not sending it in advance of a listing appointment. Okay. But I'm not saying that that, I mean, that can certainly be done. I just think that that is not, it doesn't flow with the way I like to do things, but I, but I have no problem. If somebody were to say, well, that's the way I do it, I would have no problem with that at all. Got it. Okay. I mean, I, I typically have tried to uh, leave with the signature and, you know, it's, it's bitten me once before where I was sitting in their, their living room, filling it out uh, right there and then, and I sent it them for an e-signature before I left. Okay, it's in your inbox. Uh, we'd already done a purchase, and then it was time for the sale. And then, you know, the, the, the document gets opened, and no signature, and no signature, and into the next day. And then I'm dealing with a, a commission conversation mm. over the phone. I'm now not in front of them where I could Which is have way more difficult. Probably yeah. navigated that much better. I mean, that was a very expensive learning experience. Mm-hmm. But but so this, so that's where I I want to I want to arm them with the ability to be able to sign on the spot. And I've left with a signal. I, I haven't traditionally sent it to them ahead of time, and mm-hmm. I have typically left with a signature. But it's trying to avoid that awkwardness of where basically they're sitting and, lead, and reading through the listing contract while I'm sitting there, and it's just a bunch of dead air. And it it feels awkward for me while I'm waiting for them to read through pages yeah. and pages. Yeah. So uh, so sending it ahead of time in in my mind would be better, but I, I, that's where I'm I'm open to different perspectives. You know what? I do send in advance. Uh, I wa- I don't want to say I'm perfect at this, but I I do it almost all the time is all of the uh, Dort uh, agency stuff that, you know, we're supposed to have signed the moment we open our mouths and talk to somebody, which we all know is, I mean, it might happen sometimes that way. It doesn't always happen exactly the way the uh, people want us to have it done. But I actually find all of that documentation, a really good pathway for conversation. Because, so it's funny because like, you know, I've been around long enough that none of this stuff was applicable many, many years ago. And there was a lot of squawking and moaning about it in the industry when it started to become mandatory. But I actually really like it because in the, so first of all, in the event that you're dealing with somebody who is a repeat client or has a high level of trust or knowledge of you, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You put it in front of them. They're working with you because they know, love and trust you and they just sign it. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no conversation about it where it's useful though, is with the perfect stranger, which albeit I have less of these interactions than, than someone like yourself would, but here's how, why I think it's useful for someone like you. And even, even myself, I've found it useful in the last year. It's when you're working with a stranger that you don't know where you're sitting, right? Like you don't know, like, you know, you, you said you even had a circumstance where you walked out the door, you thought you had the listing and all of a sudden it's not signed. These forms force agency conversations to the forefront, right? Yeah. You and, yeah. and so I love it because he sent it in advance and they go, what's this? And you go, okay, well, you know, here's a privacy form and here's an agency form and privacy is this. And, a- and here's what agency is. Agency is going to, you're either going to sign this saying that we have no agency relationship or you're going to sign it saying that I am your agent. And here's the thing. I'm not like, I don't work with people unless we have agency. So we're going to have one conversation and you're either going to sign off saying that you're committed to me or you're not. 
And if you're not, then that's the end of our relationship. And here, and we can talk about the pros and the cons and what I do, but you know, it's only in the context that I have a, like, when are you doing no agency with somebody? Well, maybe if you have a listing and they need you to write an offer, but never in your life are you doing anything but agency for the most part. So if you're interviewing a buyer, as an example, and like, let's say this is a cold lead and you don't know this person from a hole in the ground, it's a perfect opportunity to press the flesh and figure out exactly where you are with this individual. Like it's, it's awesome. Never, never before yeah. where we, have we been given a tool where you can literally just get straight to the point. And the best part is, is you can just say, Hey, you know what? Here's the deal. Government's made some rules and regulations. This is the way stuff's got to go. We got to have this conversation now. And before we proceed, we got to know where we stand. So you got your chance to interview me and find out if I'm your guy. And if I'm not great, have a nice life. And if I am, you're signing here and here's how it works. You're, you're talking about it a little bit as as though it's in their mind to be they're making a commitment to you, but it's not. You're, you're not using a buyer's agency exclusive agreement. No, but but okay. no. I well, you can and you you well. So here's the thing: Would I do it simultaneously? Sure, hundred percent. Like I don't think you know when 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 people spend a lot of time with leads, as I know you have right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're navigating this tough world of like figuring out who's going to work with you, who's going to commit, and you're trying not to waste your time, but you also got to invest. This is a perfect opportunity to, you know, I say, I use the terminology, press the flesh. I, I, I like to draw to the surface and look at each other in the eyes and say, what is this relationship? Like, I'm, I, I want to define this right now. And there's no right or wrong answer. Like, you, the person can say, hey, well, I don't want to commit to you. Awesome. Just needed to know that because I just don't want to be committing time to somebody who's not committed to me. Right. right. And, and it's these forms that actually give us the, this beautiful opportunity at raising that conversation that otherwise, previous to these forms, I would say a lot of people would have had a hard time bringing up the agency conversation. It would have been something that was unnatural for a lot of people because they're afraid of getting the answer they don't want to hear. And they're also afraid of spooking the, the, the client. But now we can say to the client, hey, client, the, the, the government wants us, has, has demanded that we have this conversation and that you, be, you have it explained to you all of your options as a consumer and that we define this relationship so that you know and I know what each of us is owed to the, owes to the other. So as a result, here's, the, here's all the colors in the rainbow and what's available. And here's how I work with my clients. I work with my clients in an agency type situation. And here's what all this stuff means. And so beyond the initial interview, this is where we either commit to each other or we don't. And here's how we commit to one another. You know, you sign on this line, you acknowledge agency and, you know, to answer your question, here's the buyer's buyer's agency agreement that you'll be signing and you're saying, you know, you're committed to me in this process. That's really good. And I, I think the way that you're presenting that leads people feeling more committed to you totally in the way that you present it, even though yes, it says this is not a contract. And I think there's some benefit in under in, in not overemphasizing this is not a commitment because you, you have to explain that to them in, in often cases. I think that's, that's kind of what people are doing with the door is they're panicked and going, people are going to not want they're going to think I'm trying to lock them down and that's going to spook them. But in the way that you approach it, you're using language that draws a connection to them committing to you. And it firms up 
albeit not in a contractual way, but it, it, it causes them to have to come face to face with the, with the, the thought process of, am I working with this person or, or aren't I? And I think that the, the way that you present that, that that's really good. It, it's getting you part of the way there to a, a buyer's agency exclusive agreement without actually using one. The, yeah, I would say that, let's put it this way. The government got tired of Joe Public walking around not knowing exactly where they stood in every relationship with a realtor, right? Yeah. So they had a lot of scenarios where there's a complaint, something goes sideways, and the complainant goes, well, my realtor said this. And the realtor goes, wait, hang on a second. I wasn't the, I'm not the realtor. These guys just bumped into me at an open house or whatever. And so the government comes in and goes, time out, time out. We are now going to create a force, a conversation that defines the difference between agency and not agency. And realtors must prove that they've had this conversation with a client or with, with a person before, whether they're a right. client or a customer or whatever. So that's, that's how the government sees it from their perspective, right? And in their eyes, they're going to now help avoid a lot of circumstances that were you know, maybe happening as a result of everyone not knowing exactly where they stood. But I actually see it, see this as a, it's, in, it's a gift because, yeah. you know, what's the biggest, what do you hear agents bitch about in life, right? They wasted time with somebody and then they didn't get paid, right? Some generic story like that. This is awesome. You take the form and you go, hey guys, we're going to have two different conversations. Here's the things we can talk about if you are a customer. And here's the things we can talk about if you are a client or, a, or if we have agency. What do we need to talk about here today? Oh, we want to talk about these things. Okay, well, these things are agency type conversations. So, would love to do that. But to do that, you, we're going to have to commit to one another. So, let's just, whatever it takes to commit, let's get that over with. And then we can have this conversation. Well, we don't want to commit. We just want to talk about that. Mm, sorry, can't do that, actually. Can't do that because, number one, I don't do that. I only give my intellectual property to my clients. But actually, more importantly, the government says we can't do it. I can't talk to you about those things unless we're in an agency relationship. So you're going to actually need to have an agent, have any conversation like that with anybody. So if it's not with me, you better go find somebody that it's going to be with because legally speaking, there isn't a single agent that can have this conversation with you unless you're in an agency relationship with them. That's really good. I, I, I wanted to ask you without going too far into the weeds on that, but I wanted to ask you your thoughts on I understand in Alberta, uh, they they are required to use a essentially a, a buyer's agency exclusive agreement, and so it's the norm. Now, yeah, I, it I just become be their standard. It's, yeah. it's, it's their standard. Yeah. What are your thoughts around the fact that we don't have anything like that here, and so therefore, when you try to formalize and actually contractually put something together with a a buyer, it's met as being extremely abnormal. And it's, it's more, more, it can be more difficult to do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that's relevant to you. I, I don't want to just say you, but that, that's relevant yeah. in the context of somebody who's working with a heavy amount of like internet leads. Yes. That becomes a very relevant conversation. I would suggest that there's a ton of agents in our world where, like, you know, do they all have a story of getting burned? Sure. But like, it's, it's the rare, rare scenario because for the most part, a lot of people are working with not perfect strangers or they've built up a level of trust. So they're not concerned about that. And, and I'm not saying that that's not a reason not to use it. Like I, I, 
I just think that if agents were getting burned that often, then you would see it utilized. But I think it's just not happening that often, which is why it's not common. I don't don't know what the difference is between here and Alberta. Like, I'm not sure, you know, obviously in Alberta, they legislated it. So, and, and, you know, that's the next step, right? Like legislate, you know, make forcing people to use buyer's contracts means that now you truly won't or can't have buyers walking around without agency from an agent, unless they're a, at the beginning of the process or B have just made a decision to say, screw this. I'm going about this on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. And you really remove the, the, the chances that a consumer could end up in an agency type conversation with somebody who's not their agent. So I think I can see the benefits of that, you know, that Alberta system, because I think they're, you know, it removes the gray area, but I don't like the idea of le- like, I like to find the happy medium because I, the moment you legislate something, well, now you've removed consumer choice. Right. Yeah. And, and personally, I don't have an issue. Like I, you know, every now and then I get a, I get a, you know, you have a listing and you get a call and somebody calls you up and they go like, Hey, I want some information. And then you get into the agency spiel. And I actually find our, our public is getting quite educated. Like I've had scenarios where people go, I know, I know, I know we, they go, we know you're the, you're the agent for the, the, uh, the listing. And, you know, you got to be careful what you say to us. We just want this information. We're not quite ready to commit to an agent, but we got some basic questions. And then you go, great, perfect. Awesome. Here's your, here's the questions, whatever. And they know because this information, this has been around long enough now that the public's getting educated and I'm finding that there's less of these conversations I'm in where they don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's working because it's removing it's removing these scenarios where we had listing agents coaxing buyers into limited dual situations because they were motivated by making a uh, double the commission, right? And yeah. that's what the government didn't like. That's what they wanted to get rid of. And and I think that they, you know, they clearly removed some consumer choice in doing this. I don't think it's a perfect system. I think there's Lots of examples, some of which I've been involved in in the last two years, where the consumer did not get what they wanted. Like, you know, I've had scenarios where I have two people of mine who wanted me to handle the transaction, and the law said that I couldn't. And those people thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. Right. But that's that's not the majority of the time, the right? Good. That's the that I would say that's the rare the rare scenario. I hear you. Okay. What else? You send stuff. You you meet with them. You often don't get get anything signed right on the spot. But then that's primarily dealing with with people that are either referrals or repeat. And in both cases, you, yeah. you pretty much have it have it locked down. I, I think I want to just say something real quick, and then I, then I want you to come back to your thought. But I want to say if I was if I'm in most people's shoes today, like if I'm newer, you know, I, sometimes I talk about what I do, and then I want to say like, here's what you should do. I would never go to a listing appointment today without paper ready to go, everything ready to go, everything ready to sign. I think that is, you you absolutely, you you just, it's so stupid to not be prepared. The reality is in my circumstances, I'm rarely with a stranger. I'm also competent, confident to jump onto my computer and do it all digitally right there. But Mm -hmm. I would, I would show up with everything ready to go. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I have 
in my mind, it seems like it makes sense is to have everything, especially the commission stuff, all filled out in digitally. And then oftentimes what I'm doing is I'm handwriting in the list price and I'm handwriting in the list date. Everything else is is pre-filled digitally mm-hmm. because to me it looks fixed. It looks firm. And the things that are up for debate or discussion are the things that I'm going to do in pen. Yeah, you're saying that the, in the context the in the context of wanting to de- you know de- defend your value and not have a have to have a conversation around that. So, totally, totally. So that that I think just even in how I do that, it helps shore up the commission piece, and it's not like, well, we're going to sit down and here we'll we'll start haggling, and and then arrive at a, at a decision. How do you bring up? So to answer me this, how do you bring up? How does commission get brought up in your conversation? Where, where are you talking about it and who's bringing it up or are you just avoiding it? <laughs> I just avoid it. I just, I, you know, we go through the listing contract and, or, you know, I, my, my method, it, it sounds ridiculous to me that I even have a method in a year and a half, but, but my process, I, I, I do the CMA, the, the, the analysis of the value of the property I do in real time on Paragon with them which may sound completely ridiculous. I no, I, I think that's great. That's a good method. So you pull up Paragon, you pull up comps right in front of them, and you yes. start scrolling through stuff. I got no problem with that. I look through stuff, and what I'm looking for is I want to hear their comments where they're saying, well, I think that's, that place, ooh, that's, that's really nice compared to our place. And now I know where their heads are at. Or sure. if, they're saying, if they're saying, oh, but my house is, my house is way more updated than here. I'm getting their feedback, so yes. now I know what I'm up against. Yes. Uh, to me, to show up with three or five homes and go, here's what I think your place is compared to, and they just go, well, that guy's out to lunch. Right. I don't think my place is anything like that. Right. Now, I'm already committed. I've stuck a flag in the ground, and now if they completely disagree or that, that's not where their head's at, mm-hmm. then I'm hooped. And so I walk them through that, and I'm helping – gauge where they think they're and then and then i typically ask them and this i got from from ray doing a a session with tony joe uh, on the island is so based on what we've just been looking at where do you think your home sits what what do you think your home is worth yeah and they'll give me an an answer and now i know you know if if they're out for lunch now i gotta walk them back if they're if they're high and in some cases they're people are actually gun shy they're afraid to over list they're they they're they're coming in lower than what i think mm-hmm. and so i do that i do that in real time and and figure out what they think their home is worth and then that's going into the the listing contract and i asked you know another line i got from from ray was a how, how soon do you want to have somebody how soon do you want to have people coming through your home and, and then we, we figure out a date mm-hmm Mm-hmm. write it in. And so then really I'm, I'm passing them the contract and having them look through it or read through it and understand and ask some questions on the, on the different sections. And some don't stop and ask about commission and some do, it, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been the issue that I thought it would have been. It has with some people where it's something they want to hit up front, but for a lot of, in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. it's just what's on the, it's, it's the, it's the price on the, the sticker. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever encountered a scenario where it wasn't discussed? And then when you got into the transaction, there was like a, 
oh my goodness, that's more than we thought it was going to be because it legitimately wasn't discussed or recognized? I have not. But okay. the fact that you asked me that question leads me to believe I, I will if I'm not, if I don't do something different. Or... Yeah, I, I will say this. So I, I've, you know, I've done this long enough to say that I've, I've utilized a number of different strategies. And I'll say this, people assume that there's a cost attached to you when you're sitting at their dining room table. So they don't think you're there for free. They're expecting to pay you, right? But right. In, the, in, in the range of value of what is market and what is perception and, you know, and what people think, I mean, there's a, there's a broad range there. Like you, you can, you know, you can get, I, I would suggest that in this context, in this environment, in the greater Vancouver market, you could have well-intended people naming numbers that have like a $50,000 range of value attached to it in terms of what it costs to sell a home. Right. Mm. And so I have also, you know, I, I've had scenarios, you know, where I would say times in my career where I would just kind of only talk about it if it was brought up. But I would say that that was out of a fear of talking about it. Sure. Which I think generally speaking is not the best way to move forward. It's a lot of money right? To, to mm -hmm. sell a home. The, I can tell you the, the, the greatest feeling ever is when someone's aware of the cost, they're aware that they could even hire somebody for less money and they still choose you, yeah. right? Cause now you know that every decision has been made with eyes wide open. And, um, and there's also something very empowering and powerful. Like, you know, when, when you talk openly about um, well, I mean, this morning I was sitting in someone's living room, the same meeting I referenced earlier, and we went over this, we discussed it and talked about the range of value for this property. And the open conversation we had for this property in question was, it's probably a range of value of anywhere between thirty-five and $70,000 that would be available to them on the market in terms of, you know, hiring different agents and what those agents would charge, right? Because there's not a standard fee. There's a wide range right. of what people charge. And so to speak that out and then to say, yeah, here's probably the range and here's where I fit in in the range. I'm in the higher end of the range and here's, here's what I do and here's why I do it and here's why I believe I'm worth it. And, you know, as a consumer, you got to do your own research and feel good about your decision. You know, when you're not afraid to talk about that, uh, my experience is that number one, you're there for a reason. They probably already have a sense of who you are and kind of what you're going to charge because you got the big brand attached to your name. Right. And when someone's got a Remax agent sitting in their living room versus a no name brand, that says something as well. Yeah. I, I think it's really powerful to intentionally bring that up at the right time strategically and, and have a really good open conversation around all the options available to the consumer and why you're the best choice. So that would be my, I'm not saying it comes up, you know, with repeat clients and people that know and sure. trust me, do I talk about it every time? No, but if I'm talking to somebody who's never worked with me, I'm bringing it up in the meeting and I'm bringing it up actually early on in the conversation <clears throat> because I want to know right now if that's going to be an obstacle. And if that is an obstacle, I'm going straight for the heart. Like I'm going to, I'm literally going there with a knife and I'm either walking out of that place in 10 minutes or they're going to find out real quick who I am and why they should have me there. That's uh, definitely, that, that definitely sets the bar for me. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely need to shore up that part of my, uh, my conversation. So it's, it, and it's tough. Like, I mean, yeah. And it, I mean, I don't, you, it, you shouldn't 
be at a place where you can have a conversation I can have, obviously. But, but yeah. I think that the, the quicker you can get to that spot, the more you separate yourself from the rest of the world. Because I guarantee you that anybody else that they talk to is not going to that conversation with confidence. Most people are trying to avoid it. They rather not talk right. about it. No, and that makes that makes really good sense. I, I don't know that I have been in a lot of situations. Uh, I haven't been in a lot of situations where I've been competing. I've been in a couple. And why I didn't get the listing wasn't necessarily for a commission reason. But in most cases, even just dealing with the internet leads, they don't have anybody. They don't have a group. They're not calling, you know, calling a host of agents. Mm -hmm. They just happen to get to me. They're and clicking buttons they're on the internet. They're, yep. they're just moving forward. Yeah. And so, you know, we're going to sell their house. They're going to get what they want for it. And they're going to pay, pay something in, in a reasonable range of commission. And, and the reality is somebody might be a little bit more. Somebody might be a little bit less. But I'm sitting in front of them. I got a plan. Let's just get this done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do tend to, I tend to move to getting on with the plan relatively quickly. I want to move past the decision of, are we, am I your guy to yeah. how are we going to go about this? Yeah. Because I get people past that point of, of decision. Yeah. I, I think that's a good strategy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I, I can, and I know what that's like, and you know you can you're feeling the room, and if you get them to a point of you're talking about dates going to market, then psychologically they've committed to you. So, right. but there, there's going to come up like so sometimes like here's <laughs> here's where it comes right like hey yeah. we're signing yeah. the listing agreement okay here's yeah. page one here's the price okay here's page two here's our start date oh here's page three what's this. This is the money you're paying me to get the job done. Do you want me to explain that to you and how that works? And I've had people go, in that moment, I've had people go, no, we get it, it's fine. Where do we sign? And then I've had people go, oh yeah, actually, we haven't talked about that. I would like to have it explained. Okay, great. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the high level. And what I, what I do is, I, I mean, I've got a running computer in my, like, or a calculator in my head. I don't get into, like, I know that people charge percentage, you know, we charge percentages or whatever, right? And I know there's a variety of ways to do it, but I have already done the math in my head. I know that like, if the commission is approximately 50 grand, let's say, then I'll say, Hey, we've listed your home for X amount. It's going to cost you roughly $50,000 to sell your home, give or take a few bucks because it's based on a percentage and we got GST. Then from there, we're going to pay out roughly $20,000 to the cooperating agent who brings the buyer. Do you need anything more in detail than that? Like that, that is how I'll start with it. Mm -hmm. And then if they say, well, what's it exactly going to be? Then I'll say, well, yeah, I don't know because I don't know if I'm selling your home we for 1.5 or 1.61. Right. Like if you want us to pull out the calculator and do a couple different numbers based on, I'm happy to do that. We can do that right now. But like, that's, that's how I oftentimes handle the conversation. And before that, when we're talking about value of the home, like, so, you know, again, let's just say, hey, so, uh, you know, we're talking range of value, probably listing at 1.4, and, you know, we think it's going to sell for 1.5 or whatever. Everyone's going, oh, geez, that's more money. That's more money than we thought. That's great. And then I'll look at them in that, uh, that pause and I'll go, great. Do you want to know how much of your money I'm keeping? What a great line. And, and then there's, that's always like, like, that's like, you just dropped a bomb in the convo, right? Totally. And it, which, but, but it's great. How you ask, 
Because that's what it is. That, it's yeah, it's their money, it right? It's their money. Do you want to know how much I'm keeping? And they go, how much? And then oftentimes I'll go, it's a shit ton. I take a lot. It's expensive. Like that's, ex and that is word for word how I'll say it. Because yeah. I don't, I think that there's no point in sugarcoating. Like, let's be honest. We're not talking about $2,500, right? No. We're talking about a lot of money. So yep. don't call it a little bit of money. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. How yeah. much is it? It's $47,000. I'm going to keep about 30 grand and the other 17 is going to the cooperating agent who represents the buyer, give or take a few bucks. Any questions about yep. that? And then sometimes they'll go, wow, that's a big payday. And I'll look right at them and I'll go, yeah, it is. It's a great payday. I love what I do and I make a lot of money. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, I just think I get, I understand that not everybody, like, you know, I've done this for 20 years and that's, you know, that that's one, it, it takes a certain amount of experience to talk like that. But to me, that is an honest conversation. Yes. Don't tell me it's not a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So we need to acknowledge that it's a lot of money. And show them why you're worth it. Well, that's sometimes, I mean, showing them why you're worth it in the, on the front end when you're sitting in their living room before, before you've done anything, it's difficult to quantify. And, and, but, but how you answer that question and the ease with which you hit it head on is far better than stumbling through it and hemming and hawing. Right. It's like when somebody asks for a discount, if you stutter, if you look up into the left and you, you act like you ponder it for even a brief moment, they go, I got them. Totally. It's just a matter of how, how much I squeeze. 100%. But when you, when you hit the step head on, you don't stutter, you look them square in the eye and you have a comfortable answer and you, you've got your answer. Mm -hmm. People are going to, people are going to, to meet the, the level of confidence that you project and they will likely fold because they go, man, obviously this guy knows what he's doing. And so I, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I have, I have a gap to go between where I am and there, but that is a far better answer than trying to him and haw and defend yourself and justify it and go, well, this is, uh, you know, I do, I do video tours or, you know, I pay <laughs> yeah. the extra, I pay the extra hundred bucks to talk at the beginning of my videos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Like, it, I mean, that all that stuff and somebody's going, yeah, but what are we talking here in thousands of dollars? And you, you do something extra, but just being confident that way. Here's, here's literally word for word, how I explain the, the, the gap, you use the word, the gap and the gap is a great way to talk about it. So you know, again, we'll keep you working with the numbers because we've been using these examples, but let's, let's say that, you know, the commission's 50, the gross commission's 50 grand on whatever sale we're talking about. And we've established, let's just pretend that it's 20 and 30, just for sake of the conversation. That's the way it's being split. We might be off by a few bucks, but whatever. Sure. When somebody says, you know, you got to remember, so, you know, the 20 grand, and I know some, we can get into the arguing, well, what are you offering for a selling commission? And that can go up and down too. But just for the sake of this conversation, let's just say, leave the 20 grand alone. Okay. And let's pretend that 20 grand is the 20 grand. And that's what's being offered on the selling commission. When somebody says, well, why are you 30 grand? You're not 30 grand. Here's, here's what you are. If the competition that you're being compared to is going to charge 40,000 instead of 50,000. And assuming they're going to pay the same cooperating fee on the other end, which I know is a bit of an assumption sometimes, but let's say it is, then you are not asking to be paid 30 grand. What you are asking to be paid is 10 grand because what the consumer 
is admitting in the process. Unless you're talking to a person who's literally talking about selling their home on their own, which I understand sometimes we are, but the majority of the time we're not. All you have to do is sell the gap. And the gap is yeah. 10 grand. They've committed to spending 40, right? The question is, is are they going to spend 40 or 50? And they're talking to you and you're saying 50 and they're going, well, why are you 50? This guy's 40. Great. So don't, don't tell yourself in your head that you now have to convince them why you're worth 50 grand. It's, you have to convince them why you're worth 10. Totally. That's all it is. They're spending 40 already. So can you yeah. show 10? Hundred percent. And here's how you, here's how I talk about it. I go, folks, can we just agree that the thing we're talking about here, the thing that's absolutely most important, is that you want to net the most money humanly possible. Is that a true statement? Yes or no? And everyone is going to put their hand up and go yes. Okay, great. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about net is the thing that matters the most. So is it possible? Do we believe in a scenario where? Somebody might charge less money, but net you less dollars. Or somebody might charge more money and, and net you less dollars. But both options are possible. Is that a fair statement? And do we agree with that? And again, most reasonable, rational people are gonna, who are experienced in life are going to say, yes, both scenarios are possible. Great. Then here's the only thing we have to talk about. If after spending an hour or an hour and a half with me, you are not convinced that I am able to more than make up the extra 10 grand with my knowledge, experience, skills, and ability, then don't hire me. But if our time together has shown you that that is more than possible, then I'm your guy. And that's only a decision you can make. Perfect. And if you don't shy away from these tough conversations and you, you know, you don't try to skirt around facts and you, you know, you did everything we talked about where, you know, you, you hit them hard with the data and the stats and the big words and you, you did, you did, you went down all the rabbit trails that nobody else goes down. I guarantee you that when you get to that moment, 99 times out of hundred, you're not even having this conversation because you've already shown that you are, let's use a Remax quote above the crowd in, in, when it comes to those conversations. Yeah, no. And that, that's really good for, for me. I've been able to point to a couple of stories where I, and I, and I tell the stories of where I know that I made the client in how I handled the situation where I, I hustled an extra offer. We, you know, we, we came to offer date and we only had one offer in hand and I hustled the second one and then the other people upped and I made a client 30 grand more. I'm able to say, I can make you 10 grand in a heartbeat, like mm -hmm. just how I handle a, a, mm -hmm. a simple conversation, mm -hmm. like to, to scribble over, over 10 grand. We're yes, 10 grand, 10 grand, but in real estate, it's, in a blink of an eye that can, that can be made and, and more, mm -hmm. far more. Yeah. So, you know, having something to, to, to hang it on, but that's, that's a brilliant way to present it. I like it. It, uh, it gives, you know, credence to, you know, forget, go back to one of the topics of, you know, the, the about me part in a CMA or whatever. One of the things that I, we didn't touch on, but what I think is really, really valuable is client testimonials. Yeah. And I like to have really like I'm always updating my testimonials from clients, right? Every year I'm getting, you know, more current ones. I'll, I'll work at getting ones from specific situations where I might've done something like what you talked about, like where leverage was utilized and, you know, you used the word you hustled another offer or whatever. I will, I will have specific testimonials that I will rely on. So if somebody brings up an objection and says, well, you know, what about this or what about this? Then 
My answer might be like, hey, listen, here's the thing. I can't quantify some of these things. Like I can't sell your home twice. So I can't show you what it would be like selling with me here and then without me here. And then we'll never be able to truly do that. But here's what I can tell you. I have somebody in my past where I moved them seven months ago. And actually we had like carbon copy conversations that we're having right now. They chose to work with me and here's what they had to say about the process. And then that testimonial is very specific to that type of situation. Like I have testimonials where it's like, you know, we were referred to Andrew. We'd never worked with them in the past. We had like, you know, we're, we're, we questioned the cost and boy, are we ever happy. We paid for premium service and he delivered and we would do it again. Like that's the testimonial. Do you, do you just happen to get those things worded that way? Or do you do something to steer? Well, I'm not, I'm not telling them what to write, but I'm, but I'm saying like, if I've got a story that comes like that, where like, I'm proud of a situation then I'm part of my routine with my clients is during the transaction and post transaction, I'm in touch with them. And yeah, I'm asking them for a testimonial. And then, you know, oftentimes when people write you something, they'll be like, Hey, here's what we were thinking. But if you want to tweak it, we're totally fine with it. And then you tweak it, you send it back for their approval. And then the way you go, you got your testimonial. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Uh, that's not, that's not the way I, I haven't done it that way. It's fire over a link or two to Facebook and Oh, I'm and not, Google. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, Hey, but a lot of times people are writing it on Google and there's no editing or whatever. Right. But I'm, but yeah, I have yeah. had scenarios where it's tweaked. Like they email it. They're like, Hey, we're, we're thinking of this, but if you want it tweaked this way or whatever, like you know, whatever. And like, you know, and then sometimes, you know, someone will write you a testimonial and it's like literally seven paragraphs long. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we can't put a book there, but like, we'd like to use this excerpt or whatever. Right. Yeah. See, I started this back in the day before Google reviews. I've been doing testimonials <laughs> with clients since 2000 yeah. and like seven. So how we got them was actually through email. And then you would take them and you'd load them up on your website and whatever. Now I get it. People go onto Google and they write their own thing. But even now, even like as recently the last few months, I've had people send me the testimonial on email, say, Hey, I haven't loaded this up yet, but here's what I was going to write. Are you good with this? Because they're doing it because they want to help you. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why they're checking in on it. I, I definitely, it's one of the, the goals for early this year is to put uh, a testimonial page together. I mean, I've got it on, on the website, but, uh, but don't have something that I would either send or leave with, with people. So, you know what, you know what I do? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do. Obviously there's all kinds of communication that goes on throughout the transaction, right? So if you just do this and you do nothing else, it's not going to work. But assuming you've communicated with your people well, the entire way along, you've been in touch, they love you. You've done a great job, blah, blah, blah. Approximately a month later, they get a, uh, email from you and it's, Hey, Joe and Mary, I uh, hope you're well. Can you believe a month's gone by? Since your move, time flies. Anyways, was sitting here thinking about you. Hopefully you're settled in, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to see if I could offer you a trade. In this email is a coffee on me. So it's a digital, there's a digital uh, Starbucks or Tim Hortons card or whatever in the email. In exchange for a few of your words, if you'd be so kind to provide a testimonial or a review, I'd very much appreciate it. Here's the links. If you can get around to it, great. If not, you still got coffee on me because I appreciate you. And what happens is, is when you give the free coffee in exchange for it, the rate at which you get the return is very high because now you've, yeah. you've, you've, you know, you've given them something for it, right? Absolutely. So I, I don't know what the numbers are. I'd like to say that, you know, for every 10 I send out, I probably get six or seven, something like that. 
It's nice to know that it's not a hundred percent. I've had two, I've had two transactions lately where they haven't, they haven't done reviews and have followed up with people later in other circumstances that they've, they've followed through with it. But I've also, I'm probably sending them a little too quick. I'm, I'm probably about a week after the transaction and maybe I need to bump that a month out. Yeah, I, to, you know, to, I, I would, if, if you had, uh, I mean, you probably listened to the Larry Siebert episode, you know, or we did two yeah. episodes with Larry, but Larry, Larry's like, you know, the master at this. And I think he's getting the testimonials videos bit right away. Right like he's getting, you know, awesome. he's, he's got a different system. He'd probably say my system needs tweaking, but I mean, bottom line is, is do you have a system, right? Yeah. Uh, what's that, what's that awesome quote from Atomic Habits? Uh, we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Yeah, yeah, or habits or whatever. And so have a system, period. I don't care what it is, but get a system yeah. and you're probably going to start batting four or 500 as a bare minimum. And if you can get to eight or 900, amazing. Yeah. But get a system, get the, get the testimonials, and then you use those testimonials strategically in these moments. And I have not used them in presentations or really put them in front of clients. I haven't gotten to where I'm putting them on social media. Uh, so there's, there's a lot more that I can... I can do. And I think, you know, listening to the, you just mentioned Larry, um, listening to his podcast and him talking about working on the business one day a week. That is not something that I have implemented well or consistently. And, and there's, there's a lot of things that I just keep, uh, you know, I, I need to get to that, but I need to make more calls right now. I need to do, I need to do the immediate revenue generating things. And here I am a year and a half later, and I'm still going to do some stuff like that and uh and that's that that i'm finding a, a real challenge is is to not play realtor and spend all this time in you know on the business and but actually be outside doing doing what i gotta do but there there are things that have, have slid so mm -hmm. that's that's something i gotta work on all right man i think we're gonna i'm gonna say we've come <laughs> to our natural conclusion i'm uh yes I love talking with you, but I have other stuff to do today too. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, Andrew. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, I, every time you talk about what you say and how you do things, particularly with the way you communicate to clients, I, it's it's so absorbable, and it's it's why I love the podcast. It's it's just listening to you riff on what you do and what you say, and I can I can utilize it in a significant way, and I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well. Thank you for your kind words, and I'm glad to hear that it's a benefit, and uh, you and I will, will do this again. Thank you, sir. Okay, have a good one. It. Talk to you soon. You too. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.